Welcome to another edition of Bucky's Fifth Podcast. As always, Tyler Hunt and Matt Bells here covering everything Wisconsin athletics. This is our 300th episode, so thank you guys. Before we get into everything, thank you guys for listening. Um, we've had a lot of fun doing this podcast over the last three years. I believe Matt and I took over, what was it, around two? We've done about 220 ourselves. The other ones were Jake and Owen, the old, but uh, the old duo that handled it, but either way, um, 300 episodes is uh, it's been a lot of fun and we thank you guys every week for listening to us a couple times a week uh, babble on about the Badgers because there's a lot of podcasts out there in the world and you chose in, and choose to listen to ours so we are uh, very appreciative of, of that because without people listening it kind of makes making a podcast a mute point so I just wanted to say um, you know uh, we both really appreciate um, you know everybody supporting and listening to us for all these years now. Absolutely, yeah. So thank you, everyone. And if if you like what we do, make sure to go ahead and, and throw a five-star review. We always love that. It kind of helps spread the news about what we're doing. Um, but we just really appreciate everybody for, for sticking with us here in, in what's been, uh, you know, it's just kind of flown by, I would mm-hmm. say, the, the past couple of years here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it seems, you know, I think our first one was before that South Florida game um, a couple of years ago, and it seems like that was just a, a, what felt like a couple months ago. So it's been a, a wild few seasons, but it's been a lot of fun. And thank you guys, like as always, for listening and keeping it going. But uh, in terms of on today's show, we're going to talk a brief about about basketball. They've got an exhibition with UW Whitewater coming up. Um, we'll talk some uh, some offers for the football team. We'll talk about the transfer that the Badgers landed, and then we'll get into the normal game preview uh, with the Iowa Hawkeyes, big Big Ten West battle on deck for Wisconsin and Iowa. In the back half of the show, we have Ben Ross as well from Blackheart Gold Pants to, of course, come on and give the insider look at the Hawkeyes. So it should be a fun and full episode for you guys that way. But since we already kind of talked about the 300th episode, we'll just go ahead and get right into it. Why don't we step into the basketball side of things? Big exhibition coming up, finally getting the hoops started, which is crazy because it seems like football season just started, but basketball is going to be here before we know it. We don't know a ton about this team right now. I know in the brief amount that we've talked about it, I think the main point has been the the health of the guards. But in terms of this exhibition, what are you kind of looking for? What do you expect to see with the starting five? What is something that uh, you're going to try and maybe take away from an exhibition against UW-Whitewater? There's only so much you can get from it, but at least it'll be the Wisconsin team at its full, hopeful strength taking on somebody other than themselves. Yeah, I think – I know I'm – very excited about it just because you've kind of got a changing of the guard um, here for the entire team, really. You, you've got a couple key pieces back with Jonathan, Jonathan Davis, Tyler Wall, Brad Davison, but you go beyond that, and a lot of the team is kind of unproven or they're, you know, fresh to Wisconsin. So I think that's going to be exciting to see kind of what that rotation looks like. It's early, but you also know that Greg Gard doesn't kind of veer too too much from his starting five most of the year. We've seen it from time to time that it'll shift, but usually that's because of personnel issues, injuries, um, COVID stuff. Um, but, but really I think that this is a team that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, but I want to see, did Johnny Davis take another step? Did he Was he able to kind of use that platform with Team USA to kind of really um, continue to develop as a scorer? I think defensively, you know what he is. He's a really good athlete. Um, offensively, did he continue to build on um, his ability as a shooter? I think that's specifically where you can improve at. Um, Tyler Wall, uh, same kind of thing. Like, he's kind of taken on a leadership role. What does he look like? Uh, continually growing physically as well as in his ability to to score the basketball. Um, some reserve guys. What about a guy like Isaac Lindsay and Carter Gilmore? How do they factor into it, who I think are a couple of walk-ons that, that might see some playing time depending upon how things look in front of them? Um, and then the big thing, I think, is 
Chucky Hepburn at point guard. He's, you know, the, the, the new toy in town because he's a very talented player. Um, but then the, the forwards, what does that rotation look like? Does Steven Krause start off at center? Um, does Vogue come in? What does that dynamic look like? And then Ben Carlson, what's his role in this team as well? A kid who, who's got a lot of upside. Um, as well as even Matthew Moores, Marcus Ilver, another couple younger guys who I think can give you something a little bit different as shooters. So I think there's a lot up in the air for this team, but really I'm just looking for them to come out and see what they try to do offensively. We we know the principles that Gregard wants to do, but at the same time, I think this could be a different brand of basketball than we've seen um, the past few few seasons. So I'm I'm excited about it, but really it's what does the rotation look like because it's just an exhibition game. Yeah, I think that's the the valuable key that you'll see at least from them early in the season is seeing what guys are in there, who they're trying to match with one another, and, and how that rotation works is um, kind of the big piece. And of course, that will be a fluid thing that will will change over the course of time and over the course of the season. But it's nice to finally going to be able to see where this team is at in terms of that baseline to start the year. I think um, this this team um, has got a lot of new faces, so how they mesh together in an early season play is going to be fun to watch. Um, and, and really it's going to be interesting to keep an eye on that rotation and how Greg Gard maybe tinkers it and moves it around a little bit. So we'll, of course, dive more into basketball after that exhibition once we get a first look at it. But with so many new and fresh faces, it's, it's hard to kind of know where this team is at and is going to be, but it's going to be nice to finally see them on the court and, and playing together and uh, seeing what this team might be able to do. Absolutely. Another guy that I didn't mention was Jacoby Neath, just kind of seeing what he brings. Um, he's not much of a, sh- a shooter, it sounds like, but at the same time, if he could get to the rim and, and provide some explosiveness on each end of the court, I think that would also help to kind of take some of the toll off Brad Davison when he needs a breather. Absolutely. All right, we'll go into our next um, little piece of news. We, there's been some new offers put out for Wisconsin football that we haven't talked about. Um, so, Matt, do you want to give a rundown to the to the people on the new offers that have went out because we haven't really got into recruiting with everything else that's been kind of going. We haven't touched on a lot of that stuff thus far. Yeah, I mean, things have been pretty dead on the recruiting front because I think right now you're just waiting on those in-state kids um, as well as Jaden out the running back who was on an official visit against Army. Um, but Wisconsin, you, you've seen some some different players stepping away from the program. That opens up scholarships. Um, you've also seen maybe a guy like Leo Chanel kind of pointing towards the fact that, hey, he might have the option to, to leave early as well. So I think you see this past week and a half, Wisconsin's put out three new linebacker offers. Jimmy Rolder uh, today out of Chicago. Uh, Tristan Monday, a kid who's committed to Arizona out, out in Scottsdale. Um, and then Aiden Vaughn, a kid out of Michigan that's committed to Air Force. So Wisconsin putting out some offers. Bigger kids, um, specifically Monday and Vaughn, are 6'4". Um, so you could see them play inside or outside, which I think is nice w- when you consider Wisconsin's 3-4 scheme. But I think Wisconsin's going to have a good a good shot with maybe landing one of these guys, specifically Vaughn. I think he, he's a kid whose offer list continues to grow by the day. Um, I think he just picked up a Florida State offer, if I saw that correctly, uh, a day ago. But you're looking at a kid who I think if Wisconsin can get him on campus here soon, you've got a decent shot. And Wisconsin, you know, you 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 lose some players, but you can backfill with some younger guys. I don't think Wisconsin was going to go after a linebacker other than Isaac Ham this year, but now you're seeing, hey, and, and maybe this is related to him. We'll, we'll see. But I, I think that Wisconsin's in a good spot to maybe reel one of these guys, specifically Rolder and, and Vaughn. I think they have a better shot at than, than Monday, who is already committed to a Power 5 school. Yeah, I think that the dynamic of, of you mentioned it, some guys leaving, you know, it's not like these spots are just all of a sudden opened up for, for anybody. Um, you know, this is, it's not like a spot isn't going to be not used. It's going to be passed on either to another class or you're going to see some of these new offers trickle out or hopefully it gets filled with some of the guys already on your board. So that dynamic of, of some of these departures, while, you know, at the moment they're tough to see, but it's going to be interesting to see how the staff, you know, manages these open spots and where they kind of go, who they kind of trying to bring on. And part of that was, of course, our next piece of news, which is the uh, in the transfer portal um, with Kalen Gervin, former Michigan State Spartan cornerback, announced on Twitter that he'll be finish, finishing his career at Wisconsin. So now you're all of a sudden starting to see Wisconsin get active in the transfer portal as well um, as getting active in, in this kind of slow time for recruiting. But 
to transition it over to Kalen Gervin. Really an interesting uh, player. Played a little bit this year early in the season. Hasn't played as much lately, but uh, a former four-star kid, very talented uh, in the limited amount that we've seen from him. And I think it makes a ton of sense for Wisconsin. You know, you saw this past year got out and got some depth at Chesmalusi. Some of these bigger programs are looking for depth in that transfer portal. And Wisconsin's going to have to be one that does that. And I think this move, when you look at, you know, Fayon Hicks, Caesar Williams, guys that aren't going to be with the team next year, you're going to want some experienced guys that can come in there. So what did you make of, of that announcement? And do you think that mix between those two um, fits well together? Yeah, I think it's a really good thing. Wisconsin got him on campus early when he was a recruit. Um, ended up at Michigan State as a, a really highly rated kid out of Cast Tech, which I think is a nice element for this. Wisconsin, when I mean, you go back to Brett Bielema, um, and Wisconsin was trying to get into Cast Tech for a long time, one of the top high schools in the Midwest. And for just I know he's a little bit removed from that program, but I think that that's um, a positive step for, for kind of building um, relationships in that area. But you look at it, played 19 games, started seven games, six of them in 2020. So it's not like this kid isn't talented. It's not like he hasn't seen the field before. Um, but he's got two years of eligibility. Looking, it looks like right now he's a redshirt soft or a redshirt junior. So you're, you're looking at he's going to have two more years, hopefully, uh, in the program if he uses his COVID waiver. Um, like you mentioned, we don't know if if Fan Hicks is going to come back. Caesar Williams is for sure going to be gone because he doesn't or he already used his COVID waiver. Fan Hicks, I mean, I, I think he could go either way based mm-hmm. off of how this season goes. But I think anytime you can add a defensive back, um, a talented defensive back at that who can play either cornerback or safety, I think you do it. And and especially one that has high upside who came in as a four-star kid, um, you take a shot. There's nothing to lose here um, other than a scholarship. And luckily when you take a transfer like him who's a little older, um, you, you've got some of the development already there. You you know he's a good kid off, off the field. Um, I think this is a no-lose because I, I just think he adds something to your room and increases competition when you're going to probably have a couple spots up for grabs next season. Yeah, I mean, so much we've talked about the, the depth of the cornerback room, and now all of a sudden as some of these guys start to get older, you want to keep con- trying to keep those numbers the same, keep that competition in the room like you just mentioned there. I, I think this room has, has improved over the last few years because there's been a lot of talent in the room going against each other competing for limited spots. I mean, we've seen the maturation of, you know, Fayon Hicks and Caesar Williams have played a lot of football, but each year they've gotten you know better and improved, and some of these guys that are coming behind them, you're starting to see limited flashes. Now, granted, those older two are getting a lot of the reps still, but you still want to have um, some other bodies in there that can make this room competitive. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see where that cornerback room kind of shakes out next year. Um, with some of these guys possibly coming back, some of these guys, you know, you're backfilling with a guy like Gervin. So um, if that room is going to be competitive, you know, still beyond what has already been a really competitive room for uh, the last couple of years. Absolutely. All right, guys. Now we'll go ahead and get into our Iowa preview. Before we do that, we've got our ad read with Home Field Apparel. And they're not just a par- an apparel company anymore. They now are doing some stickers, um, really cool stickers, the LSU and Tulane stickers. Um, UC Irvine Anteater as well. So go over to homefieldapparel.com. Check out not only the incredibly soft sweatshirts, check out the stickers. They'll be working to add more, including hopefully some Wisconsin ones down the road. So those retro logos look good on laptops, water bottles, whatever you could put a sticker on. They'll have uh, some good collection here soon. Um, another point of news, if you're looking for the um, some of the crewnecks that they've got, the light gray crewnecks and oatmeal hoodies will be back in stock in November, that's a main question that they get. I believe Wisconsin has uh, a couple in their line for that. So those will be back here soon. So make sure to go over to Homefield Apparel. Check them out. They've got a ton of great stuff, both on the incredibly comfortable sweatshirt side and now the sticker side. All right, Matt, are you ready to hop into this huge Big Ten West battle between the Iowa Hawkeyes and Wisconsin Badgers? Let's do it, dude. All right, well, why don't we start with the – the offense. Uh, I think defensively, I think you probably feel a little bit better, but offensively, you're going to be going against a group, um, Iowa defense, that's been really good. I mean, they've been the big thing for Iowa this year has been this group creating turnovers left and right. I mean, we, we've seen it and talked about it um, for times across you know, college football media. 
the story with Iowa has been they forced turnovers, forced turnovers. They're you know, third in the nation now in turnover margin. They were first for most of the season. And then uh, Spencer Petras had that game against Purdue where all of a sudden their margin dropped. But they're still leading the nation in terms of points off turnovers. So that has been their bread and butter. Uh, so what do you expect this Wisconsin offense to try and do to not only move the football and put up points, but try to protect the football? Because that's not something the Badgers have done well all season long. Yeah, you, you look at it, and Wisconsin has is is almost dead last. They they had that Purdue game that kind of helped them out a little bit to get out of dead last in turnover margin. But but you look at it as Wisconsin needs to take care of the football. They need to they they're going to try to run the ball, right? Like that's there's no question about that. Wisconsin isn't all of a sudden going to try to to air it out on Iowa. I honestly think that that would be the wrong way to try to beat Iowa right now, considering that their secondary is one of the best in the country. I know they're down a couple guys, which should help out Wisconsin. They're 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 down Riley Moss, one of their best corners. Another cornerback is out as well. So that should help out a little bit. But this is still an Iowa defense that is is very talented. They're going to try to to put you in t- third and long situations and try to get turnovers, and they're very good at it. So Wisconsin needs to take care of the ball, and and that's asking a lot based off of what we've seen this year. But if they do, I think and Wisconsin is able to kind of clean up some of those third down um, issues that they've had, I think Wisconsin will be in, in a fine position here. This is going to be really low scoring. So I don't think the Wisconsin offense needs to look at it as we need to score a touchdown every time we have the ball. Instead, they need to be careful with the ball. They need to take advantage of the opportunities when they have a short field and convert in those opportunities because that's what you need to do against a good defense. Um, so I think Wisconsin will be fine. I think the offensive line is going to just really need to lean on Iowa, and I know that that's going to be tough to do, but we've seen Wisconsin be able to run the ball in Iowa in the past. It's not going to be something where they're ripping off 70-yard runs like we saw against Purdue last week maybe, but at the same time, if you can get those three to four a crack, you're you're setting yourself up for success, and that's what this team needs to do instead of trying to, to go ahead and, and change what you've been doing these past three games that's got you back in, a, in your winning ways. Run the ball and run the ball a little bit more. Take care of the ball. Graham Mertz needs to keep not turn the ball over. This offensive line needs to give him some time and, and try to make those easy throws that we saw at the beginning of that Purdue game. Um, and try to build the point out of that. Running the ball, easy throws, in early downs maybe to try to help out Graham Mertz and make it a little easier. But but I don't I don't think this is going to be an explosive offensive game by any stretch. No, I think at some point you know it's it's this game. You when you watch it, it's kind of the same thing every year. It's it's low scoring, three yards in a cloud of dust on both sides, trying to flip the field, play field position, and then you know score enough points to win. And I, I think that's kind of kind of be the same recipe for Wisconsin here. It's probably not going to be pretty, but uh, if if they're able to do that and run the ball the way that they want to, I think they're in an okay spot if they are able to try and just not just not turn it over. They don't even have to, uh, you know, I had our keys to victory post. They don't even have to necessarily win the turnover margin. It'd be just nice to not lose it because that's what puts this Iowa offense is this defense turns it over, gives them that short field to score. And Wisconsin is is probably going to try and do that same recipe and maybe turn Iowa over and give their offense, um, you know, the opportunity to only have to drive it a little, you know, down the field a little bit versus having to go all the way down the field. So offensively, I don't think, there's any sort of big game plan. I mean, you mentioned Riley Moss going to be out. I think, you know, it's not like it's not like the Green Bay Packers where you, if you saw a, a reserve cornerback in there or a backup cornerback, Aaron Rodgers would be going out and trying to throw at them. I don't think that matters at all for Wisconsin. I would prefer that at this point with where this offense is at, that if there's a cornerback out, so be it because it doesn't matter. I don't think Graham Mertz is going to go out there and start attacking um, that side of the field because there maybe is a disadvantage at all. So I think you're going to see the same steady dose of run game. You're going to throw it in, in limited opportunities probably more than eight times, but I would not be surprised at all if they only throw it eight times. And if they only have to throw it eight times, then the Wisconsin offense is probably working the way they want it to, and that's because the run game is picking up you know five, six yards of pop like we saw last week. Yep, I just think this is one of those games where you don't try to get too cute. Um, Wisconsin goes into this knowing 
that Iowa has has scored almost 40% of their points off of turnovers Incredible. this year. This isn't an Iowa offense that I, at least I am not looking at and thinking Wisconsin's defense doesn't have the upper hand. Wisconsin, though, they offensively just needs to convert when they have chances, and that's the biggest thing for this game is is when you get chances to put points on the board, take them and, and run with it because that's what you need to do because I do think this is – I mean, this – realistically could be like a seven to six game and and nobody would be surprised. No, I would not be. I'm getting flashbacks of the Joel Stave fumble at the goal line play or game back in Camp Randall where just ugly back and forth. I think that one finished, was that maybe like 10-3? Just a horrendous game that Wisconsin couldn't get out of their own way. I hope that's not the case, but I could be seeing um, a similar – output in terms of points, um, and and then it's just going to be a back-and-forth slugfest like it is every year. I mean, this game is played with different players every year, but oftentimes you see the same style of football. I mean, these two coaches, these two programs know what they want to do. They know each other, and that generally um, shakes out to a low-scoring, tight, you know, uh, battle slugfest back and forth. But, yeah, offensively, I think putting – I think you putting – you put it really well – not trying to be too cute. Do what you've done the last three weeks. Hope that is enough, and and try to limit the mistakes. Will will certainly be, uh, I think, what a lot of people will be looking for in this game. And if they do that, I, I think they're in, they're in a good spot. It's the mistakes that could really um, hinder their ability to to win this football game as they move forward here. Yeah, and I, I think you look at it, and the story is probably the same for Iowa, right? Like, mm-hmm. like it kind of switching gears to the other side of the ball in a little ways. It Iowa's going to try to do the exact same thing. They're a little bit more balanced in terms of their offensive attack, but if you look at you know the numbers here, their offense is is a, a decent step down from Wisconsin. Their passing offense is just ever so slightly better, but really um, the only reason that is is because. Petrus hasn't turned the ball over as much as Graham Mertz. So you're looking at this, that he had a really bad game against um, Purdue, but this this offense, just like the Badgers, has many a moment in a game where you look at it and you're like poking with the stick, like what do something. Like So Wisconsin needs to know that both, neither team is going to be very explosive. It's just about turning the ball over, trying to make the other team make mistakes, and then you got to capitalize. So I think Wisconsin's defense is, the once again, the best group in this entire game, in, in my eyes at least. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I mean, I think people look at the, the Iowa Hawkeyes team and, and see, you know, up to number two in the nation and, you know, coming into that Purdue game, all of a sudden people were talking about playoff and, and all these things. But I think you knew that this offense and, and the – they benefited from a lot of turnovers on the defensive side and, and scored um, points off those turnovers. But that offense was not something that was going to be sustainable to, to win football games. And you saw it against Purdue, just uh, an ugly output. But that's how it has been all season. They benefited from those short fields. And credit to Iowa. They've done enough to turn other teams over and put their offense in good spots. And they've done enough to win those games and convert out of it. But I don't think this offense, you know, in terms of going against this Badger defense, strikes you with any sort of fear. I mean, you you look at the defense, they've taken away every run game they've faced. I don't expect that to change here. So really this game probably on both sides comes down to who can make enough plays and which quarterback not necessarily even makes enough plays, but which quarterback doesn't make more mistakes. It doesn't lose you the game. (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that's really what it seems to come down to is, which quarterback can can manage the game and put their offense in an okay spot to try and put up points and, and win it. So whoever can avoid the mistakes likely comes out on top, and, and I'm really not sure who because both teams, you know, Petrus hasn't turned it over the way um, Graham Mertz has, but that last game against Purdue, all of a sudden, he, he looked a little Graham Mertz-ish, and if, if it plays like that, it's, it's really going to be hard to get a read on which way this game is going to go. Yeah, I mean, they want to run the ball, and – Similar to Wisconsin, you look at Iowa, and they've had struggles on the offensive line, which is uncharacteristic of what they have built or what Kirk Ferentz has built for the past 30-plus years. Um, and Wisconsin has issues on the offensive line as well. So you're looking at teams who have you know, some serious warts here, um, specifically in pass pro. Um, and, and Wisconsin, I think that Wisconsin's defensive front is going to really be able to get after 
um, Petrus to make him uncomfortable. Uh, Iowa is 70th in the nation in, in getting to the quarterback, but they're also not great at protecting Petrus. He's a bigger guy. He's not going to all of a sudden run for a bunch of yards. Um, so I think Wisconsin's defense needs to be attacking and, and stack the box and say, hey, you got to beat us. Because I think Wisconsin's cornerbacks can play aggressive and, and try to jump the ball like we saw against Purdue. Very different style team, but I actually thought that Wisconsin matched up worse against Purdue than they do against Iowa in terms of offense defense. I think Wisconsin's defense is built to stop the run and built to stop a a team like Iowa that doesn't have a game breaker, a a guy that you can look at and say, okay, that's the guy you really got to worry about. This is an Iowa team that's got some weapons, some decent players. Tower Goodson's a decent back. But I, I just I don't see the guys on there that you look at um, from the perspective of teams like uh, that they've lost to Michigan, Penn State, as well as um, Notre Dame. Those were each teams that had some certified dudes that you looked at out, out wide or in the running back room or quarterback room that you said that could beat you. I just don't see it with Iowa. Um, and, and I think Wisconsin needs to try to take advantage of that. I always got the same feeling probably about Wisconsin's offense as well, though. So I just think this is going to be a crapshoot in so many ways, and it's going to come down to turnovers and special teams, I think. Yeah, it's really, I mean, it's kind of like that Spider-Man meme of both of these teams pointing at each other and, and saying, you know, they're kind of carbon copies of, of each other, where I, I'm guessing the, the defensive game plan is going to be similar on, on each side and trying to make um, the other team's offense make enough plays to beat you I think the other thing to to mention here um, is special teams. It's going to come down to maybe some field goals, and thankfully Kyle Marsh has been good. Knock on wood, that continues. Um, But just trying to avoid the mistakes in that area as well. We've seen it um, a couple of years ago, that that game at Iowa with Alex Hornibrook as the quarterback. Uh, Travion Blaylock made a big play on that punt, which completely flipped the momentum, put Wisconsin back in that game when they were kind of seeming down and out, all of a sudden, you know, that that flipped the script. I think you could see, you know, you try to avoid those mistakes here too because it's going to be low scoring. It's going to be tight. You don't want to give them that short field by turning the ball over offensively, but you have to avoid special teams mistakes as well, which is is really, it seems like a tall ask uh, once again for Wisconsin. It seems like they've had a a special team blunder every week, and it's cost them sometimes, and if it happens uh, in this game, uh, it certainly would be costly as well. Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the numbers here, and Iowa is actually very good at punt return and kickoff returns, something that Wisconsin is is near the, the bottom of the barrel in the FBS. Wisconsin is 128th in kickoff return, averaging under 15 yards per return, which is just mm-hmm. kind of sickening. Um, and punt returns, we've has been well documented, the issues that they've had there. Whereas you look at Charlie Jones for for Iowa has been really good. He he's, he gives them some versatility as a punt returner and kickoff returner that I think Wisconsin needs to prepare for and be ready for in a lot of ways because this is some a game where if you have miscues in special teams, they're magnified because every possession matters so much and field position is going to matter so much. Iowa's also got a really good punter. So you, you look at it in special teams, I would – you know, obviously give the advantage to Iowa here. Um, and Wisconsin needs to do enough in special teams so that they don't hurt themselves. So that's, that's how I look at it in special teams is don't hurt yourself, give yourself opportunities, because field position is going to be so important in, in this game that those, you know, not catching the punt or, or muffing a punt or, you know, making a miscue on a kickoff return just really compounds and makes it so that Iowa gets exactly what they want. Iowa relies on special teams. I mean, it's Beamer ball from Virginia's mm-hmm. old Virginia Tech. They want to play really good defense, get turnovers, and they and they want to go ahead and, and beat you in special teams. Wisconsin needs to play their game, and it it needs to be cleaned up in this game in the special teams department. So I totally agree with you. Yeah, I think that will be a, a factor that will hopefully be a non-story. I think if you if you're not talking about special teams next week, it means there wasn't a mistake and. Um, and hopefully that means that Wisconsin did put themselves at a disadvantage by having one of those blunders that has popped up time and time again. All right, we've talked a little offense, we've talked a little defense. So overall, what do you think is the big key matchup that you'll have your eye on in this contest? 
I don't know if it's necessarily the key matchup um, for this game, but the the matchup I'm most excited for is in the trenches with Tyler Linderbaum, who is a a certified dude. He is the best player on Iowa's team going up against Keanu Benton. So their center versus nose tackle. Wisconsin's going to go three down linemen probably most of this game because Iowa isn't going to spread you out. Um, At least I wouldn't think so. Um, And so Wisconsin's going to be able to – to see what he can do against, you know, one of the best players in the entire country. He's projected top 10 pick for a reason. Really good athlete. They love to use him in a lot of ways and get him out pulling. I don't know if that's this is a game where they're going to be able to do that because I think the way that Benton can two-gap and take on two offensive linemen make it so that they're probably going to need to have him in there, which opens up lanes for some of those linebackers to get after the quarterback. I think that's a matchup that if, if Benton can hold his own or win, Wisconsin's going to win this game. Because I, I really do think when you look at the other four offensive linemen that Iowa has, they are they are um, equally struggling as Wisconsin, if not more, I would say, which I know Wisconsin fans are going to say what. But really, if you throw on the tape, Iowa's offensive line has really struggled this year in, in a lot of games as well. So I think that's a matchup that's going to be really important. And then it, it, on the other side, it's going to be the, the exact opposite. How does Wisconsin's offensive line do against Iowa's front? Um, Iowa's got some, some good linebackers, uh, a couple defensive linemen. Luckily, they, they don't have uh, a, a, you know, a guy that you look at and you say, okay, we've got a game plan for a Carlaptis here or an Epinesa like they had the past couple seasons. But at the same time, Iowa's front is still really stout and tough. If they can try to get their linemen – past that first level, get a hand on a guy like Jack Campbell in the second level, I think this running game can move the ball. Um, it's not going to be at will, but it just if they can do enough to, to get a couple plays, um, you know, a couple 15-yard runs to, to flip you some field position, it, it goes a long way. Yeah, I think uh, a couple plays would be, would be uh, huge in a contest like this when you're going to have, again, this game is, is kind of that three-yard cloud of dust, and whoever can bust a couple of those can put yourself, if if at worst, you know, flipping the field a little bit and playing that field position game. I mean, the, the Big Ten is – it's kind of a running joke. There's punts. There's a lot of punts. In, in a game like Wisconsin and Iowa, you're probably going to see a lot here as well, and, and that's nothing new. So I think making a couple of plays um, in the run game would be huge. And then, yeah, uh, I totally agree with you. Anytime these two teams play – the battle of the trenches is always something to watch. It's, it's a fascinating um, you know, competition between the two on both sides of the ball. Whoever wins there likely wins this game, and, and I don't think that's anything different here. If Wisconsin's offensive line is able to lean on Iowa's defensive line and run the ball the way that they want to, I think you're in a recipe for success, and I, I think you're in a good spot. If all of a sudden you're not able to, then you're probably in a struggle spot because you're looking for Graham Mertz in this passing game to make enough plays to win you the game, and we just have not seen that at all this season. So the trench battle, you know, defensively, I, I think if you shut down Iowa's run game, you're, you're in a good spot. Really, the, the battle of the lines on both sides is just a fascinating battle to watch in this game every time it's played. You, I like that you brought up punting. So this <laughs> game always brings, up, brings out some sicko punts. So my question to you is over under two punts inside the opponent. 40 in this game between Iowa and Wisconsin. How many you got? Ooh, ooh. So that so for both teams combined, let's see. Yeah, combined. I would probably take the over just because I, I know I was good for one, if not two. And I hope it's not the case with Paul Chris. I hope he goes into this game saying, hey, we're four and three. We've got to win this and we're aggressive. But until I see that, um, I, I could see them doing one as well. So I'd take the over in that spot. And, God, I, I – I hate to say that because I hope I don't have to see that three times, but I would not would not be surprised at all if that overhits. That makes sense. <laughs> all right. Well, why don't we go ahead and hop into our key players that we're going to be talking about on Sunday. Who do you think um, will be the names that you're talking about uh, if the Badgers are able to, A, you know, get a win, or maybe um, the players you're talking about, hopefully not in a negative light, but certainly uh, that possibility is there if they aren't able to clean up some of these things we've already talked about. 
Um, you know, I, I talked about that Benton is going to have a key role in this game, being able to to take on a couple blockers inside. But but I think a kid who who's going to have a big game. Everybody's been talking about Chanel and Sanborn, and rightfully so. They've been putting together huge years and really have been playing out of their gourds the past few games. But I think this is a game where Nick Herbig can eat. I think he can be able to to get around Iowa's tackles, especially if they're more concerned with the defensive line up front. So I think that Nick Herbig's the kid on defense that's going to have a big game and help them out. And then offensively, I mean, at this point, it's just Braylon Allen and Ches Malusi in yep. a lot of ways. So I'm going to go with Braylon Allen. I think he's a guy where right now he's averaging 7.4 yards a carry um, and has five touchdowns in just six games played. And it, it's funny, you look back at the fact that he's he's played in just six games, but because he missed one of them, but he he really hasn't had a lot of opportunities to run the ball um, other than the last three games. He had seven touches against Eastern Michigan, five against Michigan. Um, So really all of his damage has come these past three games, and he's produced every single game. So I'm going to go with Braylon Allen. I think he – he, because of his size, he is the guy who I think could end up with 20 touches in this game, um, a little more than he's used to because it's going to be such a physical contest. Yeah, I like that you mentioned that. I think this could be a game where last week, you know, you saw Wisconsin lead a little bit more on Ches Malusi in that first half, went a little bit more Braylon Allen in the second half when that defense was wore down. In a game like this where you, you know, Iowa may try to shut down the run and it will likely really focus in on that, you know, you could see Braylon Allen be the guy that, Maybe he can bust a couple tackles, break out of a couple arm tackles, and instead of a, a three-yard game, it busts for some of those 15-yard runs. So if he can consistently wear down a Iowa front, I think he could have a, a big game where maybe he pops some runs like we saw last week because that Purdue front is good, but this Iowa front is, is pretty talented themselves. But Braylon Allen was able to do that, and it could be a long ways uh, for this offensive success if he's able to do it here. Defensively, I love the pick of, of Nick Herbig. I think Pet Spencer Petrus is he, he's kind of a statue, doesn't move very well. So a standing target like that in the pocket, Nick Herbig, the outside linebacker, who is, who's ever's in there uh, on the other side as well, whether it be Noah Burks or maybe a, a safety blitz with a guy like Scott Nelson, somebody coming off the edge that way, um, I, I think could make an impact, whether it be a, a couple sacks or you know a sack fumble that leads to a big play and hopefully puts you know, Wisconsin in a positive light. So any of those guys would be guys I think we could certainly uh, see ourselves talking about, and, and hopefully we're talking about them in the light of a big Wisconsin W. All right, that brings us to the score prediction for this one. Who do you like um, in this classic grinded-out Big Ten matchup? So, I mean, I've really waffled on this game all, all week long trying to figure it out. Um, I originally went into it um, – Go, thinking Iowa, um, just based off of everything that's gone on this year, you, you look at it, Iowa has lived off turnovers. Um, they've, they've really just taken advantage of opportunities when they get short fields. They've built, built everything around that. Wisconsin, on the other hand, has turned the ball over, right? Like they have, have not been able to convert sometimes in the red zone. So, I mean, those things point towards Iowa. But then you look at some of the other advanced metrics, and it's all Wisconsin. So uh, I look at this, it's at home. Wisconsin has has really been able to win most of the games here. You look at it, they've only lost twice since 2010 against Iowa. So I'm going to go with the Badgers. This is this is a game that I think Wisconsin's playing much better. Hopefully they can clean up some turnovers, and maybe that, that um, luck goes their way, and Wisconsin's able to get out with a win. I think it's going to be ugly. I really do. But I think it's going to be something like 16-13 Wisconsin. Yeah, I, I like that pick. I think I'm in a similar wavelength. I was thinking like 20 to 17 because I do, I do worry about the turnovers maybe on either side, making this a little bit higher scoring. You know, a lot, this Iowa team lives off points off turnovers. Last week, Wisconsin, you know, 13 points given up to Purdue. All of them came off of a turnover by the Badger offense that way, or you know, that scoop and score by Carl Loftus. So. I think it might be – you might see some of that. I hope not. But at this point, this offense is pretty turnover-prone, and it's, it's likely that it's going to pop up at some point. Just hopefully it doesn't completely kill you or, or be in a huge spot that way. So I do think Wisconsin has cleaned some things up and, and found a little bit of an identity. I think last week we saw the confidence seem to be a little bit higher, um, and I think they're playing together. And, and I think anytime you've got the best unit in football or in the football game with this Wisconsin defense, you've got a shot. So – I'll stay Wisconsin as well, uh, 20 to 17. 
and yeah. uh, <laughs> likely a, a gross but a classic Wisconsin-Iowa battle that we've seen uh, for, for years now in, in a very similar light. Yeah, and, and I don't feel, like, overly confident about that pick. Um, as of, like, just yesterday, I was going to pick Iowa um, just to kind of roll with the anti-jinx that we that we <laughs> won with last week. But but I, I just think Wisconsin's got a lot going for them right now, and I think you saw players go to social media, you know, excited. And I think that Iowa, they got punched in the mouth in that Purdue game, so I'm interested to see how they come out. Um, after a bye week, that's that's tough when you when you kind of lose going into a bye and then you're you got to come right back out of it. We we saw Wisconsin struggle with that. Um, may, we'll see what Iowa does, but I, I just think Wisconsin's in a good spot right now to to potentially uh, steal this one. All right, that wraps up our Iowa Wisconsin preview. Now we'll go ahead and get into our Big Ten picks. A big weekend for the for the Big Ten conference. Um, 11 a.m. was, of course, the Badger game, but also at 11 a.m. will be Michigan undefeated, traveling to undefeated Michigan State, a big uh, top 10 matchup. Who do you like in that one? Because I think this one is uh, has a, a lot of intriguing layers, in-state rivalry, undefeated, the whole nine yards. Yeah, I mean, I think I think Michigan is is a team that's that uh, has has done some really nice things this year, but I just think that Michigan State can can deliver more on offense in terms of being multiple, depending upon what the game, how the game plays out. Michigan State has the ability to, to run it and just run it and run it, but they also have some some um, talented wide receivers out wide that can win with Jalen Naylor. So I'm, I'm going to go with, and, and Jaden Reed, so I'm going to go with Michigan State to win just because I think they're a more balanced offense, um, and, and I think that they've got a defense that's in the home field advantage that's going to help propel them to a, a close win. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I mean, I almost want to pick both teams to lose because it just seems like a game that, you know, the situation and the spot, a big top 10 matchup, this is generally a game that Michigan loses, but you're also going against a team that I think in Michigan State that maybe has been a little lucky this year, but also very talented. So it's it's really, it seems like a toss-up to me. I think Michigan State at home finds a way to win a somewhat ugly game uh, just because I think they've got, like you said, a little bit more offensively. Defensively, they've been pretty good. And in Michigan, I just don't know if I, I buy the, the situation that they're going in right now and the direction, the way they're playing, um, that, that run-heavy offense, if that gets taken away. I don't know if, if a guy like Cade McNamara or J.J. McCarthy is going to be there and enough to make, make enough plays on the road. So I will side with the Spartans as well. Next up, 11 o'clock, Rutgers traveling to Illinois. Um, man, this one's going to be a gross game. Who do you like here? Um, I, I'm going to go with Illinois, but I think that there's a possibility of a letdown after that uh, Penn State win. But you you just look at Rutgers, and they just don't have a pulse when they get into Big Ten play. It's hard to, to go ahead and pick them. I know they've, they've lost three games here recently against Michigan, Ohio State, and Michigan State, but they also just got waxed by Northwestern, a bad Northwestern team. So I'm going to go with Illinois um, just because they've got two conference wins, and I, I just feel like we know a little bit more about what Illinois can do, and I trust them a little bit more. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think this Illinois team has, has got you know a little bit more of an identity they found last week. Brett Bielema, of course, had those comments, and it seemed to fire those guys up a little bit. I think at home, you know, against the, going against the Rutgers team, I just really don't I don't know what to make of this Rutgers team at this point. So I agree with you. I think uh, Illinois, as a, a slight home dog, uh, picks up a victory here. All right, next game in the 11 a.m. slate, you've got Indiana and Maryland. Who do you like there? I'm going to go with Maryland. Um, I, I, this is another one where I, I trust Maryland a little bit more. They've lost their last three, but Indiana, I mean, they've lost their last three, and, and they also, um, you know, lost their opener and lost to Cincinnati. So they barely skated by Western Kentucky. So I, I feel more confident in Maryland. I think Maryland's got a better offense, even with some injuries around them. So I'm, I'm going to go with Maryland, especially considering the fact that they're at home. Yeah, I have to agree with you. I can't pick this Indiana team is just they've got nothing going offensively we talked about two bad offenses in Wisconsin Iowa Indiana might be uh is right there with them if not worse so I, it's hard to pick a team like that going against a Maryland team that at least um has shown some ability to put up some points play some decent football this Indiana team is just from where they're at where they were at last year to where they're at now is it's a complete free fall and um it, it's been a 
Uh, tough watch for sure with the Hoosiers, so I'll go with the Terps as well. All right, another Big Ten West battle in the 2:30 slate. You've got two of them. We've got start with uh, Minnesota and Northwestern. Who do you like here? Uh, this is another one where I just wish neither one of them could win. Um, but uh, I think Minnesota's the favorite in this, you would think. But at the same time, like Evanston is just spooky season sometimes. So I'm gonna say, like, I don't know if Northwestern wins this, but I think if you're going against the spread, I think I would go with the the Mildcats. Yeah, I mean, a seven and a half point home dog with Northwestern is certainly intriguing. They're three and four. They've been, I, I think, okay. They, I think, but I've thought they were going to be a, a very bad football team. So see them three and four is is a little bit better than expectations that I had for them. I do think Minnesota wins this game, but I agree with you. I think that number of seven and a half could certainly be in play with the Wildcats. All right, up next at two thirty, you've got Purdue and Nebraska. Who do you like there? Man, just you look at Nebraska, and, and they're just such a head scratcher this year. But really, they haven't beaten anybody of value. They've beaten Fordham, Buffalo, and, and uh, Northwestern this year. Uh, Purdue probably has a, a little bit better resume based off of what we've seen. But so I'm going to go with the Boilermakers in this one. I want to I want to pick Nebraska because I think that they have more talent um, and in a higher upside in this game, and, and it could get ugly where they could run away with it. But I think Purdue's just going to be able to muck it up and win an ugly game on them. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the the muck it up point that you made is is the factor that led me to Purdue as well because Nebraska, we've seen they're in these games. They they keep it close, but then you know they have some sort of mistake. They have some sort of blunder that puts them. You know, they played a competitive game, but they weren't able to hang on with a victory. So I, I think Purdue comes in probably a little bit hungry off of that Wisconsin loss. You know, kind of reset some things and uh, we'll be able to pick up a victory. So I think uh, I agree with that sentiment wholeheartedly. All right, the last one, a nightcap on ABC. Penn State traveling to Ohio State. Of course, Penn State off that loss to Illinois, so maybe a little bit of intrigue loss in this game, but still a huge and always fun rivalry game. So who do you like in this one? With Clifford banged up um, and the fact that this is in Columbus at night, I, I think Ohio State's going to freaking roll. I don't I don't see it that close. Um, I know the spread was like 17 or something like that and, and going up. So I think Ohio State's going to cruise. I agree with you. Yeah, I think the uh, I, it makes me a little nervous when James Franklin is talking about being focused on Illinois and his Monday presser and uh, not really knowing that they're you know, playing, playing in the big house. He yeah. said, <laughs> "Yeah, I was like, uh, that is a little concerning for a team that's about to, to go to Columbus and, uh, and and supposedly supposed to be ready for their rivalry." So he might have one foot out the door. I wonder, you know, like you mentioned with Sean Clifford banged up, where this team is at. So uh, I think Ohio State. You know, we we haven't really. Spend a ton of time talking about them in the national media after um, that Oregon loss, but they are quickly climbing back up into this thing, and I think this will be a big statement game for them to to continue to roll. Yeah, Our, they've they've scored 50 points the last four games. Yeah, like, they are bad competition. Whatever, what say you? But C.J. Stroud um, and and Travion Henderson have got that youth movement rolling. Um, so I I think they are now back to being the favorite in the Big Ten after they kind of fumbled over themselves defensively against Oregon. Yeah, they are certainly clicking on all cylinders right now, and should be interesting to watch uh, as the rest of that Big Ten East shakes out. All right, guys, that wraps up our portion of the show. We've still got a little bit more of content to bring you. We've got our interview with Ben Ross here of Blackheart Gold Pants. He joined us to give us a little bit further look at the Iowa Hawkeyes. We talked Iowa's defense um, and all the turnovers. We talked Spencer Petras and the quarterback and everything that will be in play for this game. So stick with us through a couple quick ad reads, and then we'll be back with you shortly. All right, Badger fans, we are now joined by a very special guest, Ben Ross of Blackheart Gold Pants, in here to talk a little bit more insider um, info into the Iowa Hawkeyes, who, of course, had a had a great season thus far, up to number two in the rankings, coming off, of course, a loss for them against Purdue. Uh, it sets up nicely for this game for Wisconsin to give them a fighting chance, um, which should be a huge game here in the Big Ten West. Ben, firstly, thank you for uh, joining us. How are you doing today? Doing well. Uh, no complaints. Got tickets to see Dune later. So let's uh, <laughs> let's get right into it. There you go. There you go. I'm excited to see that as well. Uh, but we'll focus on um, uh, football here today, and maybe we'll have a separate podcast for all the, the Dune reviews that way. But 
I, I mentioned it here earlier with, of course, coming off the bye week, um, you know, the loss to Purdue last time out. But we're up to number two in the country before falling in that game. So how do you think the fan base has kind of felt about this team? Do you think expectations, you know, got higher as the season went on? Or were they still kind of tempered thinking, you know, eventually Iowa may come down to earth? Because for a while there, it just seemed like every week you thought that was going to be the week that they maybe returned to normalcy. And they just came out and forced a bunch of turnovers and, and won the game. So what is the overall perception, um, I guess, of the fan base right now? Expectations were as high as I've ever seen uh, since I've been an Iowa fan and following Iowa fandom. You know, I don't think anybody really, going back to the start of the season, I don't think anybody expected Iowa to to go 2-0 and between Indiana and Iowa State. Uh, you know, optimistically, 1-1 felt like a pretty fair shake with uh, 0-2 still on the table. And then, uh, you know, winning those two games and getting, you know, we can argue about if they were ranked too highly or not, obviously were with the loss to Purdue. But, you know, people, I got friends who started getting Airbnbs and tickets to games in Indy um, after after taking down Penn State and then um, feeling sort of dwindled, obviously, after Purdue beat Iowa for the, the fourth time in five years now um, in, in these matchups. And, you know, the problem is, I guess, as Iowa fans, and I don't, I actually don't think Wisconsin fans really share the same pessimism that we do, but um, with, with Iowa, I think lots of people had sort of come to terms with the fact that this was and is a, a normal Iowa team that just so happened to be ranked number two simply for lots of reasons. You know, um, Indiana probably wasn't as good as advertised. Iowa State, we've just sort of had their number. Um, all the time, and Penn State, they're a paper tiger. Um, you know, <laughs> losing to Illinois at home on homecoming is unacceptable. Um, so they are simply just weren't as good. So, you know, in the rearview mirror, I guess the Iowa State win is aging a little bit better after they took down Oklahoma State and, you know, certainly could go toe-to-toe with any other team in the Big 12 right now. Um, but it's just sort of tough seeing, you know, laying, laying waste to, to our schedule and then seeing – uh, our, our, the corpses start to sink, stink even more, especially after seeing Wisconsin do what they did against Purdue when they really took us to the cleaners the week prior. Yeah, I think that really, you know, all of those dynamics really set up an interesting contest in this game with all of a sudden, you know, a lot of storylines in play for that Big Ten West. But, you know, part of getting up to that number two ranking was, of course, that Iowa defense that has been incredible, um, just Seems to be in the right place, right time, very well sound, you know, assignment type of football, forced a ton of turnovers. So what has been kind of the success for that defense? And is there anything in particular that you've noticed that this Iowa defense has done well, or is it just a completely well sound unit? I think it really it sort of starts with um, the front seven, I guess. Now it's sort of revisionist, but Iowa typically sort of just rotates four or five in, four or five guys in on the defensive line, and it's sort of just best man in for about 80, 80 to 90% of defensive snaps historically. And this year, you know, we're seeing about not eight, between eight and nine players on the defensive line, uh, rotating in and out, um, you know, cause some player, you know, so back end, some players are getting 20 to 30 snaps a game, which we haven't really seen, seen before with the way Phil Parker is rotating in, in his defensive line. Uh, similar to akin to hockey line changes, and uh, behind them you, you've got two. You've got one middle linebacker who nobody's really talking about in Jack Campbell. He's a six-five, six-five guy, local prospect. Who um, I heard some pundits talk, uh, some draft pundits saying, you know, had he grown up in Atlanta, he'd be playing for Alabama or Georgia right now with the way sort of his body has progressed and and everything. And then alongside him, you've got a player named Justin Jacobs who is from Columbus and. He actually chose Iowa over our Ohio State because he saw a clearer path to playing time for him. And that, that looked like a pretty good idea earlier in the year with Ohio State, but now, you know, they're turning into the the black mass that Ohio State always has. Um, and then, obviously, you've got, you know, at one point in the season, you know, earlier in the season, you had two quarterbacks who were legitimate, you know, first-team uh, Big Ten and potentially All-American candidates and Riley Moss and Matt Hankins, two guys who were – Grading in into the high 80s, low 90s, pro football focus. Moss, before he got injured, was leading the nation in interceptions. 
and then very capable safeties with Jack Herner, Kayvon Merriweather, and uh, sort of a hybrid cash position we've got in, in Dane Belton, who I do believe will be playing on will be playing on Sundays. So that's really just been, you know, normally in the past I was sort of had some superstars like AJ Vanessa on defense and uh, Davion Nixon and, you know, reigning Big Ten Defensive Player of the Year he was. And uh, now it's sort of, uh, there's been a little bit more anonymity, I'm not going to try and pronounce that word for a third time, Um, but as a whole, the, the group just before, before playing Purdue, just simply didn't didn't give up big plays. And you know, I will mention Riley Moss. He he was out. He hurt himself after getting an interception against Penn State. He missed the Purdue game, and looks like he's going to miss the Wisconsin game as well. But I don't think you know, as good as a player as he is, I don't think there's a huge drop off between him and the next man up and Terry Roberts, who's been a special teams all star for the past two or three seasons for Iowa. Um, and I certainly you know, even though he, it's it feels so foolish to say that, you know, a guy with five or six interceptions on the year won't be missed, but um, that just sort of speaks to the talent, you know, the talent um, of this defensive backfield. Yeah, and, and that transitions just really well because that was what I was going to ask about. I know Riley Moss was, of course, out that Purdue game. Looked like he was not going to play in this Wisconsin game either. And in terms of impact, of course, you mentioned he, he led the nation in interceptions at one point, but it sounds like from what you just said there, that there's some still some good depth behind him to hopefully, you know, for, for Iowa's sake, the secondary doesn't sound like they'll miss too much of a beat without him. Yeah, and I'll just take the time to say also, you know, I really don't care who's playing quarterback up against Grammerts here. Tyler. Exactly. That's that's I a great point. <laughs> Wisconsin's <laughs> only going to probably try and, you know, they, they threw it eight times against Purdue, so I don't think that's going to be a matchup that Paul Chris is going to be able to scheme up and exploit, um, you know, going against a – a second or a backup cornerback. I think Wisconsin will still feel much more comfortable keeping that ball on the ground as much as they can. So you mentioned some names defensively. So let's transition now to the Iowa offense, which I think similar to Wisconsin has had some struggles this year. The fan bases seem to want more. I know we talked about the defense, the turnovers have set Iowa's offense up really well with some short fields, but um, what has been some of the reasoning behind some of the offensive struggles in your eyes? So I think it all just starts and ends with sort of, well, it doesn't really end, but starts with Brian Ferentz, the offensive coordinator, the son of Kirk Ferentz, head coach. He simply, you know, I I have very little faith in him to call good offense against a team that isn't named Maryland, really, uh, for us this season. Uh, you know, so a lot of his, his play calling just do, doesn't really, it's always, it seems to be square peg, round hole, always playing into the maybe the weaknesses of the defense he's seen, but not the strengths of his own offense. It seems like he doesn't even really know um, what personnel groupings he's got out there. He's, uh, his play calling can be in, incredibly inconsistent and schizophrenic at times, and uh, really just not only isn't doing his quarterback and Spencer Petras any favors with sort of, sort of the way he dictates the dictates the flow of the game and with his play calls and. Um, you know, oftentimes you see, like, against Penn State, for example, like, whenever Iowa got in the red zone and for two consecutive possessions they ran plays without Tyler Goodson, you know, inarguably Iowa's most dynamic playmaker on offense. Um, and that's something we'll certainly see again, you know, set set the clock by Brian rolling out person. If if Iowa can ever get in Wisconsin red zone on Saturday, you know, set the clock by Iowa rolling out a, a hair-pulling hair um, personnel package out there because you know he 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 sees things that he's he, he wears a different set of glasses and I think most Iowa fans do um, and I guess the struggles really start to uh, at the offensive line as well this is outside of Tyler Linderbaum who had sort of an ad hoc Heisman campaign after the um, Penn State win he's surrounded uh, by by four pretty inexperienced and at times it's with very overwhelmed guys um, at both guard and tackle positions. Um, part of that is due to injury. Starting guard uh, got hurt bailing hay going into the year and he's never really recovered. And, you know, beyond that, I think Iowa by, I think Iowa is by far leads the big 10 in tackles for a loss allowed. Um, and, Petrus typically, you know, he's he gets sacked to, to uh, just over two and a half times a game, I think, which 
Um, it isn't the worst in the world uh, when you look at the numbers, but he's he's got some real happy feet back there because he's not getting too much time um, to set and make his progressions and his reads and, and get the ball out of his hands. And a lot of that goes back to play calling where Brian's dialing up plays that require three and a half, four seconds maybe of protect, protection when Petrus has you know less than two seconds to get the ball out of his hands. Um, and it's just frustrating because Iowa's got plenty of great skill skill players and playmakers at positions. You've got Sam Laporte at tight end, who I think uh, will be playing on Sundays one day. You've got Tyler Goodson, who's as electric as a running back I can remember in the past few years for Iowa, who feels like he's getting wasted a little bit um, when the holes just simply aren't there for him. And, you know, Nico Regani, Charlie Jones, um, and some true freshmen, and Arlen Bruce and Keegan Johnson are some really great playmakers, but um, if you can't get them the ball and if you're not making special plays for them, it's, it leads to Iowa not averaging 25 points a game, which is where they need to be to win. That was some great insights, but I have to go back. Did you say an offensive guard hurt themselves bailing hay? Because yeah, that I'm would a, be the most it, <laughs> big time scoreline of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yep. That's 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 incredible, but that does not surprise me for the for the Big Ten that way at, at all. Um, the other question I want to ask offensively, Spencer Petrus. I, I know I think some people in the fan base it seems like think he's an all right quarterback that can get the job done. I think there's some others in the fan base that similar to kind of Graham Mertz's situation just don't buy into anything that he's kind of put out. So what do you think is the overall kind of opinions of him as the starting quarterback at Iowa? Well, it's tough because <clears throat> Petrus, you know, up until the Purdue loss, he had led Iowa to a 12-game win streak. You know, mm-hmm. he was a quarterback there, and, you know, just that taken sort of by itself is is reason enough to, to maybe stick with him. And then and then also, to his credit, up until the Purdue game, he had only thrown two interceptions all year. So he had sort of a he had a nine to two TD ratio nine nine to two TD to interception ratio which is pretty good, and then he throws goes and throws four picks against Purdue, a couple of them late in garbage time, the game's out of hand, uh, but still th- those numbers are there and um, so you could say he protects the ball, he he makes the throws when he needs to, he's always had a little bit of zip on it, much like Nate Stanley did, our previous quarterback, mm-hmm. putting you know his, his timing hasn't always been on the same page as some receivers, and he's also suffered. There's a couple of receivers on the team who are sort of losing playing time because they've got a case of the drops that they can't get rid of as well. Um, you know, it, it, it's tough because with the mentality for Iowa is you go, with the war, you go to war with the arm you have. And we've seen enough of the backup quarterback um, to know that He's not probably not the answer outside of Petrus. Um, biggest hang-up I have with Petrus is he just can't move. He's uh, he's a statue out there, not 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 too fleet of foot, and uh, he I rarely see him. Many times I rarely see him make his progressions. He often locks onto his his first his first read, which is often Sam Laporte as a security blanket, as um, as as one is and in this Iowa offense, but, you know, at the same time, he comes up with moments of brilliance, like the, the, the touchdown pass to Nico Regani and against Penn State, and he had some really nice uh, balls to uh, Charlie Jones in the Iowa State game, and, you know, he's good for some some really, like I said, some moments of brilliance, but, you know, most of the time, you've got you've to gotta eat your vegetables when he's quick to throw the ball away, when he misses a guy who who had some room to run, when he totally and completely are just doesn't even look at a guy who is wide open on a play, um, so you know I, I'm hesitant to talk mad shit about a 21 year old quarterback, um, and he, you know he's my quarterback, so I'm going to support him best I can. I think that's a fair assessment, and something Wisconsin fans maybe could take note of as well. I know there's some. Um, fans out there that are certainly not happy with the Graham Mertz performance and are, are very vocal about it. But again, like you mentioned, 21-year-old kid that way. Sometimes we've got to uh, hone it back a little bit. All right, so to kind of round things out, what do you think this game kind of comes down to in the eyes of the Iowa perspective, and what do you have for a prediction for this contest? Not so tough because, you know, I I, I don't think I was in or Wisconsin, excuse me, run for run for 300 yards on Iowa like they did against Purdue. 
I I do think, you know, if it's in a situation where you only where Mertz only passes eight times a game, I feel like that means Wisconsin's doing exactly what they want to do on offense, so I don't mm-hmm. feel super great about that. I do feel relatively optimistic that you know, I was coming off a bye, got got a chance to get a little bit healthy. I was able to digest your film pretty well. And I feel like, you know, Phil Parker and the Iowa defense will be sort of be able to dictate, uh, make make Mertz win the game, make Mertz throw it, and which is exactly what I think Wisconsin's going to do on the other side of the ball. But it might be a little bit easier for them because uh, Iowa's rushing attack right now just isn't nearly as powerful as, as Wisconsin's. And... um you know, so from that sort of standpoint, I see that happening. And I see, I do see, you know, Paul, you probably have a better perspective on this than I do, but I do see Paul Chris probably trying to uh, let Mertz give him a sort of a short, a long leash first quarter, see if he can uh, press Terry Roberts, the guy who's going to be starting over Riley Moss in the secondary, going to try and catch Iowa off guard. Because you, you just you just have to assume that this Iowa defense is going to try and stop itself and run between our front four. And I was I was been getting pretty creative with, with blitzing um, more, more lots out of necessity more so than I have in recent more so than I've seen in recent years with um, Jeff Campbell and Justin Jacobs and Seth Benson and even sending Dane Belton the aforementioned nickel guy. Um, and on offense, you know, I, I, Wisconsin's really good. I'm not going to have to do too much to. I think if they just sort of play man-to-man, they they might have the advantage there. Brian Ferentz is going to have to get creative, which I have zero faith in him doing. So I, I'm not feeling great about points in this one. It's really tough for me to be optimistic on a win, especially for an Iowa win in this one, especially with uh, this game being in Camp Randall. I haven't even looked at, you know, I don't I don't love to do this to try and dictate how I'm going to feel, but I, I you know I just looked at the line for the very first time and. It's got you guys favored by three and a half, which honestly sounds about right. I, I do think it'll be a close game, mostly because you know these teams are going to really be going to be scoring. But I, I just you know I was coming off a win over Wisconsin last year, and it was weird. I have never, as long as I've been an Iowa fan, I've never seen consecutive wins against Wisconsin. Um, and so I just kind of have to feel like that's got to happen eventually, right? I know. Uh, that's sort of a sunk cost fallacy in a sense, but I I, I do sort of feel good. Uh, I don't know anything about Wisconsin's kicker. I know I was definitely has an edge in special teams. We got one of the better punters in the country in Tory Taylor and Caleb Shudak. It's a more than capable place kicker. So you know, all that being said, it kind of feels like a four field goals for Iowa. Uh, first to double digits might win, and so give me that. Give me twelve six Hawkeyes. I was just going to say, I remember back to um, a game a while back when, when Joel Stave was still the quarterback um, for Wisconsin at Camp Randall where it was like 10-3, to 3, Wisconsin and Iowa, just neither of them wanted to score. I could see this game being very, very similar to that in just an ugly, low-scoring type of contest. But it'll be a fun one to watch regardless. Maybe not easy on the eyes, but it should give us an idea of where we are at in this Big Ten race as we move forward. All right, Ben, thank you very much for joining us. As always, we appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back with you later in the week or next week to discuss and recap this Iowa contest. And as always, on Wisconsin. Thank you.